Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Rusty. I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another beautiful summer week from Wisconsin. We are post-primary election and we are going to dive deep into it with Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Robert, good to have you. Good to see you all after a successful primary overall and a clear choice set up for November. Yes, Robert. Uh, it was a it was a big primary day, uh, and I we're going to dive into that right away. We will also later in the show talk more about the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. That is the year, folks. They were wise enough to throw the year into the title. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. Why it's so historic? We broke it last week on the show. Uh, it passed the Senate since then, and we're going to talk more about uh, the impending House vote and some other details and things that we think are important uh, for progressives uh, as they grapple with this really historic piece of legislation that we think is important. We'll talk more about that later in the show. Robert, we got to start with the uh, primary. Um, let me start with it was historic. And yes, I'm throwing that name around a lot, but it was record turnout. Uh, for an August primary, uh, uh, and uh, one point they're expecting about 1.2 million. The previous was just over a little bit over a million. Um, so significant turnout. Most of that was admittedly on the Republican side, uh, but that the the engagement on the Democratic side significant, given that the the marquee matchup on the Senate side uh, fizzled out two weeks out of the election, and one cannot underestimate what it means in a campaign to have a GOTV program pulled, right? Particularly one uh, that was going to be as well-funded as the effort on the Democratic side. It was going to be, it was going to actually, uh, it might have dwarfed the Republican effort had all of the four candidates stayed in, uh, but that did not happen. And we still had record turnout. Uh, Robert, want to start by talking about the GOP primary. We will get to Barnes, but the GOP primary was at the end of the day, the big show. And it had great significance because Trump had come in late for, for Michaels. And let's remind everyone, Rebecca Clayfish, right? We're talking about the darling of the conservative movement uh, a decade ago. This was not someone Walker had recruited. Walker thought she was too conservative, didn't trust her. Uh, well, now she is the rhino and was defeated by four points. The party of Trump, right, statewide, won this election. And Robert, want to get your thoughts on this. This also happened within the context of Mar-a-Lago being raided this week. <laughs> um, raided, that's to use Trump terms. That's, uh, that's a Trump terminology. <laughs> but that's how they would put it. And that's how it was used by Michaels and company. In fact, Michael suggested somehow that people should be worried that if the presidents of the United States House can, quote, be raided. So, could, you know, what could they do to you? Which tells me he's an authoritarian. He actually thinks he doesn't believe in equal justice. Somehow the president should be treated different than us. What? Anyways, Robert, I want to get your thoughts on the governor's race because the party of Trump, President Trump won and won fairly convincingly. I would say that uh, on your on your thing about invade home invasion, that uh, 
you know, Americans have traditionally, using the masculine terminology, uh, believed a man's home is his castle, though in the case of Donald Trump, Ron Johnson, and Tim Michaels, it really is a castle, not just a metaphorical castle. Uh, and I will just say that uh, no such concern about uh, someone, uh, an African-American law-abiding woman like Breonna Taylor having her home invaded in the middle of the night and being killed in her own home that's fine to them, but God forbid you should you should you should execute a lawful warrant peacefully on the fearless leader. So if they, I'd have more respect for them if they actually thought that I uh, believed in the Fourth Amendment for every American, including African Americans, not just for uh, their chosen few elite leaders. But having said that, that's the that reflects the modern Republican Party. I have a mix of emo I had a mix of emotions about this. I have to admit. Look, the Scott Walker wing of the party, which is really the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the dominant business lobby in the state, and the Bradley Foundation, and some right wing billionaires like Diane Hendricks and Richard Eline, uh, that has done tremendous damage to the state. It undermined fundamental rights of workers to bargain with Act 10 and with right to work. It has defunded education and made our, our ranks in it, which used to be among the top five in the country, plummet as far as schools. It's gutted cities for resources. Gutted civil justice, our, our yeah, rights. Exactly. And so part of me is was thrilled that their champion, Rebecca Clayfish, the heir apparent, went down. Right, and that Robin Voss almost went down. But what they're going down to is the Trump Republican Party. And it's amazing because in 2016, Trump was defeated resoundingly in Republican primary here by Ted Cruz because this establishment was stronger than he was. Well, he's now taken over the party. That's what this reflects, almost beating the powerful assembly speaker with a candidate no one ever heard of and had no traction to the last couple of weeks. And then uh, winning resoundingly this governor's race, you know, and I at Mandela's victory party, I'll remain, they'll remain nameless because they weren't speaking for the record. I talked to some of the top political operatives in the state of Wisconsin were assuring me Rebecca Clayfish before the, before the results were out was going to win based on their tracking of the ads and how it, and, and, and everything. And I just said, don't you think the, uh, the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago and the way they've used that to galvanize and supercharge the whole MAGA base nationally might help Tim Michaels. Oh, no, no. So we got to learn the new politics here. And this is what you talked about with turnout, Matt, that you can supercharge turnout on their side. That's how Trump overperformed the polls by eight points, two straight election cycles in Wisconsin. That's why all the polls were wrong. And we now know with this turnout, Matt, that they're going to do it again, which means we have to turn out our base, which is why it's so important that Mandel Barnes won. But I do want to say a little bit, I, I want to get your thoughts. I don't want to do all the talking on what this means if the Republican Party has changed in Wisconsin or yet or not. Voss survives. So is there a division among Republicans in Wisconsin or is it something else? I'm going to say it's uh, something else, but I want to see what you think. Look, Voss survives barely, Robert. Like it was a last ditch effort. And if it had been at all 
better plan by Trump and done months in advance. Voss was going to lose. He won by less than 300 votes. Folks, Matt, by the way, Matt, yeah. I was told at Mandela's Rescue Party by operatives that leading Republican lobbyists were doing doors for Voss. They were so worried over the weekend, uh, people who are not used to canvassing, that they came in to try to save Voss in mass. And were, they dragged them out of the country clubs and got them on the doors and, uh, in Caledonia and the places, other parts of Voss's district. Well, look, folks, the reason they were out there is because just think about this. We were less than 300 votes away from Donald Trump selecting the next speaker of the Wisconsin Assembly. I'm just going to leave that there. Um, right. And, and been- it didn't happen. So, but it didn't happen. And I'll just say there were a host. If you go look at the um, results on AP, Journal Sentinel, or wherever, and you scroll down through the legislature, there's virtually no primaries. Where there are primaries, there's virtually no primaries, except in Republican areas where mega folks challenged, you know, quote, what they would call establishment or rhino Republicans. These are all very conservative people. Right. Um, And so those folks were able to win. But that those are weakly funded, not well thought through efforts that those legislators are perfectly suited to win. I do think the Michaels thing is a much better like representation of what what's really going on when you put resources, money and organization into a strategy, which Michaels did, you know, behind Trump, it's the winning strategy. And, and, and it shows Voss would have lost to a, come on, that guy's ridiculous uh, that he's running against. So, but he was, you know, it's 300 votes from, you know, being in the assembly. So uh, yeah, I think they've got a real problem on their hands. And by the way, like whatever I'm with you, Robert, on, I have no love loss and we, we were out front on this, on this show. I believe you go back to right after the last election about this problem and talking about how it was in the assembly that we were seeing this fissure play out where Voss has been all the last two years dealing with the, with the Trump caucus. And you, we could see slowly slipping control And they enabled them and refused to tell these folks the truth. They refused to tell their base the truth because they were politically afraid of it. And so this is all these chickens coming home to roost, whatever. Use your favorite metaphor or whatever. But it's all happening. And it couldn't happen to a, you know, a better group of (laughs) of very right wing conservatives. And they're sort of like eating themselves. Robert, your thoughts? I know we're coming to break, so I'm going to talk about, after the break, scenarios, Matt, for how this plays out for the future of the Wisconsin, of the Republican Party in Wisconsin, and in particular, understanding that the people, the power behind the throne is really the, the big business interest that yep. world, uh, this and, and benefited greatly uh, from this, this Republican establishment that is now arguably besieged, as you laid it out, Matt. Absolutely. It's, uh, well, we'll talk more. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are debriefing what was a very interesting and, you know, I said at the beginning, historic primary election, record turnout. And we're talking about the the marquee race, as it turns out, the GOP governor's race, um, where Trump wins by four points uh, through his surrogate 
Tim Michaels, Robert, there was more you wanted to say before the, we had to go to break. So I think that there are two different future scenarios here. One is if Tim Michaels wins the governorship and one is if he is defeated by Tony Evers. Okay. So in the first case, the big difference here is whereas Robin Voss knew the election wasn't stolen, wasn't willing to do the illegal thing at the end, very much like Mike Pence, but was, was long for the ride otherwise. We now, if we have Tim Michaels, would have a governor willing to decertify the 2024 election. And I was talking to uh, Maurice Mitchell, the head of nationally the Working Families Party, who flew out from Mandela's Victory Party. And he was pointing out how many battleground states could have governors willing to literally decertify and just name the winner of the 2024 elections and how they all must be defeated in order to defend democracy. And I think I think that uh, Maurice is right about that. Here's the um, here's what happens, I think, if Michaels, that's the big difference. This is like full fascism, not we're going to play footsie with fascists, but not go all the way. Uh, I think that Voss going after the Gableman who, after being paid all this money, Michael Gableman, the disgraced former Supreme Court justice, who at the end endorsed uh, Voss's opponent and then Kemp did robocalls for him, that he's going to go and get his bound and pound of flesh and they're going to fire Michael Gableman. Okay. So Gableman will be the, the, sacri the sacrifice. But I think if Tim Michaels is governor, and Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce and all the other biggest, big interests want to, keep, want to move their agenda, which is what this is all for, that they're going to find common ground with their new Trumpian governor and that there really isn't going to be a permanent divide, that the, the, the Republican establishment will try to morph and become part of the Trump and co-opt them and come together in some unified way to, to, to do universal vouchers, to dismember the Milwaukee public schools, the rest of their agenda. Um, so I think that um, in that case, there's not a permanent fissure. I think that if Evers is governor, they don't need to make common cause with the Trumpies and uh, the, the re Republican establishment continues to govern as it did before. So I think it's different in both scenarios, but I think it's not boss's decision. The business interests want their advances they can get from unified government and they're going to get them. And it doesn't matter what this factional difference is between the Trump people and the more establishment Republicans. Robert, I cannot argue with most of that. Um, it, it's it's first of all, I think we're talking about Coke and Pepsi here uh, for the chamber. And, you know, they have shown that they're willing to tolerate a lot of non a lot of distasteful an awful, and let's just say it, a, basically a white supremacist structure. Uh, so uh, they're willing to work through any kind of problems like this. So absolutely. Uh, and But Voss is the ultimate survivor. I just got to say like, wow, you know, he's, he's really just at some level a book. He's going to write a book. He, and I'll say this, he should, he could retire too. That's, that's the other thing. At some point, this guy's, got to be thinking he's going to cash in, although he is the ultimate political animal. Um, we'll see. It, it it absolutely matters what happens in the governor's race. And I'll just say, I do think Evers is better off running against Tim Michaels than he is running against Rebecca Clayfish. I just think um, what you saw, Rebecca's strength was still in the 
southeast suburbs and Dane County suburbs. I don't think Michaels goes over nearly as well in those areas and particularly with women. And I think some of the air gains that they had hoped to make, I really believe uh, Michaels is really has a hard time. And because like, do you listen to the guy? Like he sounds like the total jackass that every woman is either dated or had to deal with the arrogance, the arrogance that drips from him that Rebecca, like what, I don't like her policy wise, but she might've had a connection. Even this is two or 3% of the population. It's devastating I, for a guy like Michael. I think you have a point, except remember it's, it's a combination of both voters moving your way and, and turnout that Michael's won this a race by turning out a whole lot, like do it, replicating Trump, turning out yep. a whole lot of voters that were unpredicted. And I believe I, we may never know that uh, likely Rebecca Clayfish and her team met their vote goals and lost. And so we have got to inspire our base. Elections are about base turnout now. And that, and regardless of whether he will not carry as well in Waukesha County, he'll, he'll lose some votes. We will still lose on turnout if we do not inspire our base. And that's why it's so important that Mandela Barnes at the top of the ticket, because he has the capacity to do that. Well, uh, and that's not that's Governor a good Reavers transition. Political strategy to to turn out base at kids to be agreeable to a lot of people. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good transition to talking about the Mandela race. Um, look, we've that's been our analysis all along, and so I'm not shocked. Michael's won. I I do think it's a base turnout, and I and I do think Mandela can help us and help us statewide with that. He inspires a lot of folks and and there's going to be a ton of resources now that are going to help get that message out in a general election way that is just, you know, makes the primary seem like small ball. So um, I would agree with that, Robert, um, but I still, I still do. I, st I still like, I'd rather face Michaels, especially since I don't feel like we're going to be underfunded. I'd be deeply worried if I was, if I thought our side was not prepared I think our side's well prepared and I think Mandela is exactly the vehicle. So I like that, that, that matchup, um, how it helps Evers, right. To how, how the Senate race helps drive for Tony and then what happens in Tony's direction, particularly in suburban areas. And I think that goes beyond just uh, Milwaukee and Dane County. We'll see that in Green now Bay and Eau Claire and La Crosse. On their side, they have the perfect Trump turnout ticket with Johnson and Michaels at the top yes. of the ticket. Yep. And they get white male anger and rev it up. Yep. In all the rural areas and uh, and, and all the non-college uh, white folks. And so that is that's why we have, we got to match that. Yep. Uh, there's a real danger that Democrat consultants think that, oh, that they're going to see it's extreme. We're going to get these. Uh, swing voters you need to go try to get some of those swing voters but this is a turnout game they they won in 2016 by swamping hillary's turnout hillary met her vote goals look lost pl the playbook is there the way mandela spoke and talked about himself in the primary is powerful and um just need to keep 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 at it folks and with that I, I don't want to spend too much time on the Barnes race just because it really wasn't a race. It ended two weeks ago. Um, but I do, and we'll talk a little bit more on this later. 
this is going to be huge for us at Citizen Action. And I think just more broadly as progressives, people who believe in trying to create a movement. And we need to be ready to match up and get into this and volunteer and get involved in programs that are reaching out to those voters who don't normally show up in off-year elections because we're going to need to get them out. And we have a perfect vehicle in case to get them out, but we're going to need y'all to, to volunteer. And we're going to have a lot of opportunities coming up, including some trainings later this month that um, we will have a lot of information on our socials and digital media as it rolls out. But I can tell you uh, that we're, we're, we're going to have opportunities for you to get trained on our deep canvas uh, methodologies uh, this month, and we'll have a few trainings and opportunities around that that will be uh, coming up very shortly in the next within the next week uh, for us um, to be able to then get back in making phone calls and conversations super heavy in September as uh, voters start paying attention to this race. Robert? Here's my pitch. Look, a lot of people are talking about the threat to democracy, and it's true. Um, and Wisconsin's the epicenter of it. Uh, talking about it, listening to media about it, being on social media where we're talking to people like-minded, it's all the algorithms all keep us in our own spaces and our own and and our own little circles on social media because they get the most engagement. Um, that isn't going to save democracy. Democracy is a is a is something that has to be enacted. It's a participate. It's something you have to participate, and we need people to get off the sidelines. It's been a long pandemic. Social media is a temptation. People feel like they're doing something there. We need people on the doors, on the phones, talking to people. The only way to save democracy is to enact democracy, and we need everyone to play a role. We'll have a lot more. Keep an eye out. Please uh, attend some of our trainings that uh, you're prepared to go out and have these com these conversations that are going to be absolutely critical to winning this election and building the movement we want we're going to be building organization. We're going to be recruiting members through this work. So we look forward to doing that with you. Robert, I want to talk about uh, a really important state assembly race that happened here in Milwaukee. We had Darren Madison on uh, last week. So you all got a chance to hear how compelling and phenomenal Darren is. Well, he went out and uh, won uh, handily uh, on uh, on Tuesday night. And uh, just you got before we go to break, any any thoughts on the importance of a, a race like that? And we can come back after the break for further thoughts. Yeah, I don't know. In 30 seconds, I will say a little more Darren after the break. I'll just say uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is reporting that there are now two out socialists in the legislature. Ryan Clancy's the other from Bayview, the district I live in. Um it is weird. It's like, I don't know, it's a cloud. There are a lot of closeted socialists hanging out in the legislature. Is it something that you have to hide? Uh, the Journal Sentinel, like, the weird editorial policies on this. And it, it, there are a lot of Democrat socialists. They don't all go by the label because there isn't really a functioning socialist party and hasn't been in decades. Uh, but really, it just means that they're advanced progressives. I'm sorry. We'll uh, talk more about that. We'll talk more about that because it's a great discussion point. After this break, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're all over Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram. Um, Robert, you were talking about all the socialists uh, who are taking over um, your bathrooms and your governments. Um, right. It's so, like the old 1950s stereotypes <laughs> about gay people, out right, socialists. Right. You right, know, right, did yes. you tell your family yet? He's yeah. A yeah. <laughs> but Robert, your your basic point about the idea that there's a lot of people who basically share a philosophical approach to Darren Madison and Ryan Clancy already. And by the way, as someone who was able to attend what was a raucous and fun victory party for Darren, they were there, right? They're the radical Supreme Mora Mukunde who uh, he talked about as a mentor and helpful the super radical David Bowen, <laughs> who was able to talk about how uh, the faith-based connection of Darren and the super radical Charlene Moore, who runs a nonprofit that helps youth get engaged, right? Like it's ridiculous. It's of course ridiculous. It's a lot of the people we all know and love who are doing the hard organizing and have been in this community and all across the state and country for years. But it is true. Uh, we're getting better organized right now. This reflects some of the things that are happening nationally. And hey, shout out to DSA here in Milwaukee. They have done a good job of organizing themselves and recruiting and getting candidates to run and identify with them. That's awesome. And we should uh, lean into that. And uh, while not getting hung up on it and understanding that we're all in a broader movement here to change the legislature, and we have made progress, this is going to be a better caucus. Uh, Robert, any further thoughts? Yeah, we need that. This is I've written about this. We've talked about it. The Democratic Party has not evolved as much uh, towards the progressive side, given progressives equal voice in Wisconsin as much as it has nationally. In Wisconsin, the Democratic Party wouldn't try to pass Build Back Better um, or anything or all that package. And we need to move it that way. All a Democrat socialist is, you know, dispensing with the right wing talk show and Fox News lies about it, is someone who's radically democratic. When you're a democratic socialist, you say, actually, healthcare is a right and it should be run by the people in their interest through our democratically elected government, right? Uh, and it is radically undemocratic to say, no, the big pharmaceutical companies and the uh, big insurance companies and the big hospitals should make all the decisions for us, whatever profits them the most. Right. And creates the most, uh, the most gold on, on quarterly balance sheets. So there's nothing to be ashamed of here. This is, these are folks who there's nothing, they, you're even more for even more democracy, economic democracy, if you're a democratic socialist. Yeah. And, and like, for example, Ryan Clancy cares deeply about housing issues, right? Well, as a democratic social, he approaches that from the the renter, the home, the person trying to get housing, not the real estate association, not right from that. It's how do we get people what everybody deserves is access to housing, right? And and housing that doesn't bankrupt you, right? There's nothing radical about that. Also, let me put a pin on this conversation. Well, then I guess we just re we need to rename Shorewood because Shorewood, I think when we dive into the numbers, is going to be the place that delivered Darren the victory, the People's Republic of Shorewood, because that is the kind of place 
that elected Darren, right? In addition to and, Milwaukee, isn't just Bay, Milwaukee. Bay sure, I worked Shorewood doors four five, four days and talked to tons, hunt, you know, lots of Shorewood voters. They are well aligned with Darren and Darren speaks to them and their concerns, their deep concerns about what's happening to the democracy, how regular people are being frozen out of conversations, right? How corporate power is completely taken over, you know, many aspects of our uh, decision-making. So anyways, don't buy the hype, the the hype of the labels. And the people's rework of Bayview was so left that Ryan Clancy didn't even draw an opponent in the race. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. Right. Anyway, so look, congratulations to all the folks, the organizers, everybody who was involved. And of course, Darren, uh, for the hard work. It was a pleasure to be there to witness uh, last night. See his just just see the joy of of hard work paying off. And again, this was his second election. He lost a narrow election his first time. So all you folks out there who uh, progressives who go in there go do the hard fight, lose, and uh, you learn the lessons and come back stronger, better organized. Uh, and uh, this is a great shout out to Darren. I also um, wanted to shout out Jane Swigum, who won a contested primary. There weren't a lot of them, as I mentioned, uh, but we endorsed her. Our Driftless Co-op had uh, did a screening process, interviewed her, and fell in love with her. Well, so did the voters. Again, and Oh, that supposedly very rural conservative area. Well, you know what? She was up against a conservative Democrat. She was very much out as a progressive uh, nurse, healthcare worker, won almost uh, 60 to 40, won by, I think she ended up winning by like 16 points. So shout out to all you progressives in the Driftless area for showing up. And uh, we look forward to uh, helping Jane try to win what is a still a very challenging uh, Republican seat. Uh, but did, uh, congratulations call, to Jane. Did you just call Jane an out progressive, Matt? No, no. Oh, my Lord. Oh, God. Look, hey, let's debrief the third congressional district while we're at it. Brad Path ends up, I'm not going to say narrowly, because I think a lot of people thought he might cruise, and especially like six months ago, thought he was going to cruise to victory, and this would be an absolute, I mean, he had Ron Kind, he had a lot of the Democratic establishment, um, and it was closer. I think he ended up winning by about five points over Rebecca Cook, and uh, Deb McGrath had a strong showing, and, and Mark Newman did all right for someone who basically, you know, doesn't spend any money, still got close. I think he was close to 10%. So if you add up the progressives folks out in these rural areas that they Democrats often will try to tell you, we need to find these moderate types. Um, I think it's the progressives who, who are the majority. And um, we just weren't organized there. We had uh, essentially three candidates that progressives were voting for. Uh, We saw it in our co-op when we tried to move an endorsement process. Um, Mark was easily the most popular, but um, a lot of folks knew that it was going to be a challenge for him to win. And uh, we just couldn't get a consensus. And I think that reflected what happened with those voters. And uh, Brad, Brad wins for that reason. Uh, And we'll be facing uh, just a scary scary opponent robert any thoughts you have i constantly say that the democratic party is the only vehicle to governing for anyone who's not you know quite that right-wing new american fascist 
Um, it's a coalition between the moderate and progressive wing, and we're going to lose some. Uh, we as the progressive wing, but we have a shared interest in winning those races. We cannot have, we might, if we hold on to the U.S. House of Representatives, which is critical to the future of democracy, it might be by a vote or two. We yep. need that seat. Brad Pfaff will vote uh, for Joe Biden's agenda, even if he is not the most, he, even if he is you know, on the very moderate side, he might be more moderate than Ron Kind in many ways. And so hard to say, we'll have to see, but I'm saying that he might operate differently once he was in a more progressive space like the U.S. Congress. The state Senate and state assembly is not as evolved on the Democrat caucuses at the moment. But we have an interest in electing Brad Pfaff now, and I'm sure Brad Pfaff will accept our support and understands that we, we are, the Democratic Party is a two, at least a two-party party, it's a forced two-party system, and we need to work in bipartisan coalition with our moderate friends to hold that seat in order to give Joe Biden a governing majority, because we're in a position to pick up Senate seats and have to worry about mansion and cinema and to, and to pass the rest of Biden's agenda and more. Robert, with that, I want to just uh, mention the lieutenant governor's race. Um, we endorse Sarah Rodriguez. Uh, we've known Sarah for at least now three years since she announced her successful run, one of two people to flip uh, red seat blue in, in these very suburbs that we were just talking about that I think are going to be absolutely critical this fall. Uh, she won going away. It was a landslide victory uh, for Lieutenant Governor. Uh, Robert, we really like Sarah, particularly around health care. She is a former nurse. She also then was an administrator, has a deep passion for policy uh, that, uh, and if I'm correct, you can talk more about this. She talks with you and it consults and is really interested in trying to be as sharp and on top of healthcare policy. Uh, she will be a fantastic, I mean, in my take, fantastic uh, running mate with Governor Evers and bring a whole hell of a lot of knowledge in this area that uh, quite frankly, I think the administration, when they win this fall, can do a lot more in the next uh, four years. And she could be really, really helpful uh, in that. Your thoughts? Yeah, to his credit, uh, Governor Evers partners with lieutenant governors. That's very different than Jim Doyle, who absolutely isolated and ostracized Barb Larden when he went, Barb was his lieutenant governor. And so... Mandela brought a lot to the table and and brought a lot on climate and uh, had led the task force, the climate task force, and has got Evers making very bold proposals on climate, uh, his clean energy plan. I think Sarah Rodriguez can do the same thing for him on health care. We have said that he's been great on badger care expansion, but that that doesn't actually deal with the cost crisis for most Wisconsinites, as ridiculous it is that we've been turning down the money all these years. And I think Sarah can help get him more into that space, perhaps even help him campaign on it, because back in 2018, he campaigned on prescription drugs, and he did have stuff in his budget. I think he should lean into that in this election, because I believe Tim Michaels's uh, prescription drug plan is going to be uh, to let pharma take whatever they want. With that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back 
the Battleground Wisconsin. Look, folks, uh, just uh, great, exciting election night, but we are going to move and talk a little bit in our last segment, Robert. I want to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act because it is like the election last night. It's historic. Um, And we talked about some of the details last week on the show before the Senate actually did pass it. And so that's super exciting. Passed on uh, Sunday, right? And uh, everyone knows that. And it's headed to the House. We still, as of recording, and we're recording Wednesday afternoon, we're expecting a potential vote as early as Friday in the House. And we want to encourage, before we dive into the details, I'm going to just start by saying, I want to encourage you to take action. We'll have a link where you can easily just go click on, fill out a form, and we're sending it on to members of Congress. Uh, Or please reach out, call them, right? Reach out to your member of Congress and encourage them, even if they are Republican, even if you think and we kind of do know how they're going to vote. It's important that they hear from you on this absolutely historic piece of legislation. Um, Robert, I don't I'm not going to ask you to go into all the details because there's a lot. And I think a lot of people know some of that. But we said last week, this is not everything, right? We know there are huge compromises. Let's remind everybody we were super behind when it was a 3.5 trillion, when it was a two point, whatever, when it went to a one point, whatever, and now in its current form, right? So yes, there's a, that means a lot has been removed of some of what was possible. However, we do think there's still a, that there are significant important features of this. Robert, Could you speak to our listeners who've, I'm sure, heard both, this isn't enough on climate. This actually doesn't make progress. There were giveaways to Manchin as it relates to gas and oil exploration and drilling and things like that, that actually are a step back. That's one. The other is, this just simply is not up to the task to do what we actually need to do around redressing the inequities in our economy and we need more. And this, this bill doesn't do enough to address uh, a lot of our communities and where they're at. Robert, those are two very broad and I'm not giving them full justice, but I'm sure our listeners have heard and many of you feel this way, may feel this way. Could you address critiques uh, from the left essentially about the inadequacy of the Inflation Reduction Act and why it's still important for us to support? Uh, It's important for us to have these conversations, so I'm not throwing shade on anyone raising questions. We're a democratic movement. I wanna say that in order to get to, we talk about governing power, part of the idea behind governing power is to learn how to govern, okay? And if you look at the whole history of the philosophy that made our experiment in democracy possible, uh, really part of it is you have to learn to work across difference. Pluralism means you'll never have all the power yourself for any smaller group and to get things that are advances for, for for the whole, you know, for the, for all of the people making the decision. And one of the hardest things for the left to do since we're used to being on the outside and just taking shots at what the establishment is doing, which is a, a valuable role, um, we now have to be able to understand what is a victory? 
what is real progress? And I think our standard should be, it, uh, it's been referred to people like Michael Harrington, the great socialist leader, as radical pragmatism. It is we need to push leaders to get the radical end of the possible in any situation. And I think in this situation, giving Manchin and Cinema had to sign off, we had a 50-50 Senate, and given that they are very compromised conservative people, that this is the radical end of the possible. It is different than when a politician compromises with themselves, when they decide that something isn't possible without trying. You cannot accuse the Biden administration or the Democrats in Congress or the Congressional Resident Caucus of not trying to get much more and not pushing the envelope, so much so that it looked like it was dead. And so you have to be able to take this advance and build on it. And to his credit, Joe Biden came right out of the box, went and gave a speech and said, that these are major advances and give me more votes in the Senate and we will do all these other things. And that is the attitude we have to have because if we undermine ourselves and undermine getting the, the far end of the possible in a situation with the power we have, this is the power we have and don't dedicate ourselves to building more power, we will never get it. And what we need to do, once we make a clear solemn commitment that this isn't enough, but it is big, Right, we are we need to reduce, we need to reduce greenhouse emissions by forty five percent by twenty thirty. We have no chance to prevent runaway climate change. We had not started. This does forty percent. That's huge. There's five more percent to go, and we can also do it in a better way that that lifts more boats. But the point is, this was, you know, if you didn't do it now, you might have a Republican president in twenty twenty five. You might be signing the death warrant of billions of people. So you have to do this and we have to create positive momentum out of it because we need to use this to win this election. The only way we win this election is create a sense that we're getting things done with democracy. So you need to vote and get more. Robert, I think that's a really good explanation, particularly of the climate weaknesses. Could you speak more specifically to the, the, the racial and let's, we've talked about it. If we don't intervene in the current system, a lot of these jobs are going to go mostly to white men. And so talk more to the the critique that's been raised that this doesn't adequately address that, which is a really serious. I mean, it's it's a legitimate concern. And uh, that talk more about that as it relates to this. Yeah. And citizen action has been driving that debate in Wisconsin. So, uh, you know, led by our climate equity director, Raphael Smith, and our newest co-op, Northside Rising Organizing Co-op, our chapter system in the African-American community. I ask you. <laughs> so there are two different ways to view the, 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 the racism of all this. Before we get to the opening up the economy uh, here, remember, if there's runaway climate change, the people who pay the most have by far the most deaths and destruction and chaos are people in the Southern hemisphere who are predominantly black and brown, and they produce very little of the carbon in the atmosphere. So if you want one of the most racist genocides in American history, world history, world history, the history of humanity, then go ahead now and don't do what we need to do for runaway climate change. So that's first. And we get to, way too uh, kind of uh, parochial and only think about this country or our community and not the whole world and how unjust that is. As far as what we have brought to the table, we citizen action with our leaders and, and all the people involved is there had been a kind of light equity view on climate that said, well, we'll make sure that lower income people of color get their share of the benefits. That is different than saying 
if we're reinventing the economy and we're creating all these massive numbers of green jobs and over 80% of them are, are white and, and three quarters of them male right now and they're older, that we have to also create a workforce that actually creates living wage jobs for all the people, all the low income and black and brown people locked out of real opportunity in this country because that's what the racial income gap is. It means a whole lot of people are in a lower economic caste and locked there. Then, we, then we're not really doing what we can for equity. And here's the thing with this. We didn't get, because it was stripped down, because it was Manchin would agree to, some of the features that would have made it radically equitable, such as a climate conservation core, for example. Uh, Senator Markey and uh, Debbie Dingell's uh, uh, part of it that was in the, the original version. But the White House, to its credit, is the first White House to have an initiative that actually requires racial equity in what we do on climate and all these investments, it's called Justice 40. The, the rub is this, it's a White House policy. It's not in, it's not, it's, some of it's in the statute. The statute is not absent of all these things. It just isn't strong enough, right? Um, really, it's gonna come down to holding states and local governments accountable for implementing it that way uh, though the Biden administration would be trying to require it in the grants that will be written. And so that is why the local work we do around climate action planning in Milwaukee with the Climate and Economic Equity Task Force and other parts of the state where we and, and others are active and what we're doing at the state level to try to with, with the climate and economic, uh, uh, and economic equity package that Supreme Moore McCunday and Senator Chris Larson co-sponsored is to actually lock this money down in a way that's used very effectively on climate, but it also creates the most economic and racial equity in its economic impact possible. So I'm gonna bring this conversation full circle back to the elections. Mandela Barnes helps us do this at the federal level. Darren Madison is going to be a major leader in working with Chris Larson and Supreme Mormukunde and implementing and thinking about how we do this and continue to organize and move people. And yes, that includes Republicans, but move people on this vision over the next decade. And then all the other leaders, right, that are out there in the, the mayors, right, um, uh, Genrick. Rosenberg, all the folks out there that have to implement this stuff in our communities, we're all needed in this. So it all connects. It's super important. And let me just say, Robert does a very good job. And some people are really good at diving into to the policy and understanding why they, from looking at the policy, should support this. I have a, one very clear barometer. I'm uh, the person who looks for uh, clues. And if Pramila Jayapal is for this, I'm for it. And if Mark Pocan and Pramila Jayapal are for it, I'm for it. Because they're our inside team. I don't have to think they're perfect, but they're our team. And um, I, I'm going to have their back because I like what they've been doing the last two years. And I want to support the growth of that caucus. So that's just another reason I'll throw out for people who are a little less about like all the details and just sort of like structurally, how do we support our movement that's on the inside? Um, I'm going to take my lead from Pramila, who's spent her life building organizations like ours and fighting the right fight. Robert, you get the last word. And I'm going to say about Darren Madison, Ryan Clancy, progressive champions already in the state legislature, like Chris Larson, like Supreme McCunday, like Christina Shelton, is... None of those people are going to call me. I won't name names 
were members of the Democratic Caucus and tell me we cannot release with Representative Moore McCunday and Larson the climate and economic equity package because it will harm them in elections and it's too radical and we just can't be saying those things. And I got a number of those calls. So they're not going to tell that to their constituents, but they're trying to make sure that what, that what we really need to do around climate equity doesn't happen. We need people like Darren Madison on the inside pushing the envelope. And that's why winning these primaries was important. And that's why if Jane Swanigan is able to win her general election with our help, with progressives' help, that we have another person who is going to try to push in the right direction. And we have more of that in Congress right now. The Congressional Progressive Caucus is the largest and the best organized it's been since the 1960s as far as a progressive block. And that's what Pamela Jayapal leads. Mark Pocan has a lot of credit for helping build that up, and he's part of it. And so we need to build that at the state level and the local level as well. With that, folks, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes this happen every week. Folks, we're going to be off next week. We're going to take a little vacation, a little August vacation. We rarely take vacations from the show because we know you're addicted to us and we need to mainline you every Thursday uh, week. Uh, folks, uh, you're going to have to find something else next week. But we'll see you in two weeks here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>